Martin Lloyd Jones, <laughs> who is a very different man, who is a pastor in England, and he has this book called Preaching and Preachers, and in it he says basically pastors would be fools not to preach on the thing that everybody's thinking about. Um, so I hope to be no fool uh, this morning. And, and we know that the 31st and the 1st are a holiday set aside across most of the Western world um, where we reside to think about the coming year, to make plans. A lot of people make resolutions. Um, and so I want us to be thinking about what God would have us to do in a year, uh, what it is that God would have us to make resolutions about, what God would have us to think about, to be doing for a year. And so we're in First Thessalonians 4 to hear this from God. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instructions as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we, are told, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do not practice it toward all the brethren who are in... For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, and attend to your own business, and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that you would keep our eyes and hearts focused on you this morning, and that you would um, help us to be changed by your word, by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, the question, what is the will of God for my life, is a common one. Uh, it's most common when we're younger. It gets less common as we age because we kind of figure out that maybe the will of God is pretty simple. Um, and we realize it, it really is pretty simple. The will of God is your sanctification, your holiness. The fact that you would actually live in a way that pleases God and not in a way that's like the pagans, not in a way that's like the Gentiles, not in a way that displeases God. Um, we tend to focus those questions in, in years, you know, as we plan ahead and these great ambitious goals, like, you know, what are we going to do? What's the thing we're going to strive for? What's the thing we're going to hit? And those are fine to do. Um, those can be good and godly to do. But what often is missing from all of our talk of what we're going to do, where we're going to be, what's going to happen in the year to come, is just regular, everyday godliness. Just, just regular, 
everyday sanctification. What is it that God wants from you? What is the will of God for you? To be more like Jesus. To to actually reflect God's glory more this year than last. Um, And that is no small thing, um, but it's also not a difficult thing. Um, we, We tend to inflate what we think of as holiness. Uh, even though we, we think we're not guilty of these things, we, we tend to think that the guy who goes to China and spends his life there is more holy and more sanctified and better in some respects than the person who chose to live in Jasper for 80 years and raise their family. And the reality is, as long as both of those people are godly, both of them grew in sanctification and holiness, there is no difference in how much they please God. There is a difference, though, if the person in Jasper grows bitter and resentful towards the person who gets to go and do those things. And there is a difference if the guy in China who's doing the ministry of the gospel there begins to think himself somehow better or superior to the people who stayed behind. Both of those things would displease God. But the thing that would please God, the thing that he would look on with unbelievable satisfaction, is his children walking in the way of of the Lord. This is not new, and it is very much the testimony of all of Scripture that right living must and should follow justification, new birth, regeneration. If you are indeed a Christian, if God has actually opened your eyes to the gospel, if you actually do know Jesus Christ to have saved you from your sins, your life should be different all the time, every day, every year. You should not be the same now as you are in 20 years. You should be a new person. And we hear this language, right? Put off the old, put on the new. You have become a new creation in Christ. Therefore, this is, this is the will of God. Um, another way that we tend to puff up the will of God is we we tend to get our head of ourselves and what God has called us to do. And so we think that the doing part is going to be this outlandish big thing. Um, So for churches, what we can fall into is a trap of thinking, we're going to have this big event and a bunch of people are going to come and our church is going to explode in growth. And that will be the thing that we'll say we're more godly in. Um, We're going to do this thing or that thing. We're going to have this event. We're going to do this ministry. Um, And none of those things are bad. All of those things could be very good. But they're not what the will of God is for us day to day. In fact, he ends it, uh, which is similar to the way 1 Timothy, if you remember in chapter 1, or chapter 2 puts it, which is this. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And to attend to your own business and work with your hands. What, what would be most pleasing? What would cause God the most satisfaction? What would actually do the most to accomplish the great big goals we have of church growth, of gospel growth, of seeing disciples being made in Jasper and across the world? What will actually do it? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own household and work with your hands. 
Live, live a quiet, godly life. And this doesn't mean you just don't talk to anyone. It just means you don't make a big stink about who you are compared to everyone else. It means you don't attack people uh, who are not believing the things you are. It means you actually just make time for people. It means you actually do work hard at whatever you're doing, that you do it with your whole self. Now, these are things that have become the common work ethic of the American mind, right? These are things we think of as this is just the, the American mindset is to work hard and be quiet and do your stuff. Um, well, it comes from Scripture is where it comes from. Uh, this, is the, this is the call to Christians. And if we get off track of that, if we spend our days thinking that we're going to accomplish these great, magnificent things for the sake of the gospel, um, if we're going to be the ones who are sacrificed like John the Baptist or that sort of thing, we're going to do nobody any good. It's not going to be helpful at all. The way God grows his church regularly, year by year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, is the quiet, godly faith of the people. Every single time. You just read about the accounts of great outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And what happened? What was the thing that, that occurred in, say, Acts, where thousands of people on the day of Pentecost believed, and then thousands more were daily being added? What, what happened there? Now at this time, this is Acts chapter 6, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews. So this is the Greek Jews, the, the, the Greek-speaking Jews against the, the people who spoke Aramaic or Hebrew, the, the widows specifically, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole, everybody, the whole thousands. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, there are two of the seven that we know of. Right? We know of Stephen, who became the first martyr. We know of Philip, who had a ministry that was recorded. But these other guys, we don't know who they are. They are just the... Five of the first seven deacons just kind of recorded for us randomly in Scripture. And what was happening? The, the ministry of the gospel was exploding all over Jerusalem. Thousands of people. But what was the common everyday ministry? What, what actually needed to happen? Well, the widows needed to be cared for. Normal everyday life had to go on. Food had to be gotten. Groceries had to be shopped for. People had to be cared for. Quiet, godly life. Five of the seven disappear into obscurity. We don't know anything about them other than the fact that they were assigned a duty, which goes unnoticed 90% of the time. 
duties like our trustees have been doing for you, serving, 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 unnoticed. Not bitter, but just unnoticed. We just, they do all sorts of things that we don't see. That's the same with those five men. It's not recorded for us like Philip or like Stephen. And yet, what did God do with the ministry of those men? Philip left, right? Philip went on. He, was, he had to get out of town. Stephen was killed. It means there were five guys left in Jerusalem. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Just regular, everyday faith. Just a, just a few thousand people every day going into the marketplace as believers. Every day talking to their neighbors as believers. Every day doing this, doing that, going about their regular business, paying their bills on time, working with their hands, not causing a ruckus. That's just, it just seems like it's too simple to be what God would ask of us. Doesn't God want us to do something great? Something stupendous, something that will get our name on some building somewhere. You know, aren't we supposed to be all like Billy Graham? Aren't we all supposed to be like this guy or that guy? No. No, we're not. And if you make it your ambition to be those people, if it's your ambition to be someone like Elizabeth Elliot, who's written lots of books and had a successful ministry to the Aka Indians after they murdered her husband and four others, you're never going to be Elizabeth Elliot. God won't use you in that way, if that's your ambition. But if you're just quiet and godly, God will use you to do all kinds of things. Um, And we know this. So one of the things you may not know about uh, Thessalonica, where the Thessalonian letter was written, is that Paul sent a young man named Timothy there. You may remember Timothy from the fact that I've been preaching through one of the letters to him. Well, this is what it says about Timothy And people just living godly lives. Um, This is in 2 Timothy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it's in you as well. So Timothy had a faithful mom and grandma. Just living every day before the face of God, helping to raise up their son and grandson to fear the Lord. And because of that, Because of just regular, everyday faithfulness, just godliness, just everyday sanctification where they just sought to be good mother, a good grandmother, a good wife to her unbelieving husband. Because of that, just genuine faithfulness, quiet servitude, beautiful in the face of God, Timothy was raised up to fear the Lord, to know salvation from a young age. And then along comes Paul, and he sees Timothy, and he's like, yeah, I want you to come with me. Your faith is what we're going to need. The stuff that your mother and grandmother built into you, just, just godliness, just being servants, that's what I need. You, Timothy, come with me. I'm going to put you in Ephesus. You're going to be the pastor there, and you're going to have to hold that place together. It's all going to be on you because of your mom and grandma. Just regular faithfulness. And they didn't know, right? I'm sure if you asked his mother Eunice, what do you think someday will become of your son? I'm pretty sure she wouldn't go, I think probably 
His name and legacy will be written down for millennia because of his service to God with Paul, the coming one to the Gentiles, um, and that because of that, my name's going to get written down. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. Out of all the things that I do in my life, my name's going to live on. Oh, you know that Eunice and the grandmother Lois, they were obscure ladies, just, just normal people, just living godly lives, just trying to please God, absolutely without ambition to be marked as women of faith for 2,000 years. And yet they were, because they were godly women. Okay, so now you know that Timothy is connected to this. Um, We have this man, Timothy, left, um, and then he comes back. So in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, it says, Timothy, we were worried about you. We sent Timothy to you. Timothy came back with good report. Came back with a good report of you. And so we want to encourage you, based on that report, to excel still all the more in godliness and sanctification. So you've been doing it, and that's what I would say to you. You've been doing it. You've done some difficult work. It has not been easy. It has been difficult. You have been small. And yet, here, God says to you, I see it. You're doing well. Still excel more. Work at it more. Keep being more faithful, more godly. Keep making it in your ambition to be quiet and godly. That's the goal. Because what can happen is we can think, well, now that we've kind of come out of like the real low point of our church, you know, we're no longer five or six people. We're 20, 25, 30-ish. Now, now we can kind of... Let's let, let's let all kind of the last 10 years, just the last 20 years just fall. <laughs> um, and yet what God says to you is not, you better do it. But he says, I've, you've been doing well. You've been being faithful. Excel more. Walk more. Not with greater like goals in mind, but just, you know, the kind of thing that happens when you start walking. You you get better at it. So keep keep getting better at it. Um, when we're talking about what this means, what does it practically mean? Okay, so be sanctified, be more holy. Um, what what does Paul mean when he says that? Well he gives you some hints in that he explicitly talks of Really, he brings out two commandments here. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. And the ninth commandment, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. And he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is an outworking of the seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. Abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, in honor, not in lustful passions, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, so... Refrain from this. Do not buy into the revolution going on. Continue to be godly in how you express your maleness and femaleness. Continue to actually be men and women of God. Don't buy into the 
the, the lies that are being spread of how this is not the true sexuality. God has said from the beginning, I created them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is a bedrock, unchangeable truth of God. And so he says, don't go off the deep end. And it's easy for us to go off the deep end. Kids, grandkids, great-grandkids doing all kinds, believing all kinds of stuff that is wicked about sexuality. You just keep being godly. Just, just keep believing the truths of Scripture. Keep witnessing to them by your behavior. Just be godly men and women. Second thing, right, the ninth commandment, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. Don't be deceitful with one another. Don't be deceitful with one another. And this is very easy to do. We don't ever like to tell the whole truth. We like to tell pieces of the truth. I was talking to a man recently, and I said, the difference between truth-telling, being a truth-teller, and being an honest man is that truth-tellers always tell parts of the truth. But honest people expose the truth, want it shown, want to show themselves to be true. Truth-tellers are very good at only giving you bits and pieces of what They think you need to know about a situation. Now, that could lead into a huge diatribe about the mainstream media, the unmainstream media, media in general. They all give us bits and pieces of what what the honesty is, what the honest thing is, so that they can tell some sort of story over here with bits and pieces of the truth. Honest men have no fear of any part of the truth. You must be honest with one another. Not just truthful with one another. Honest with one another. Not letting these things come between you. And that is a a very difficult thing to work on. Uh, Because whenever honesty is happening, squabbles begin. Difficulties begin. Tensions are actually out in the open. Um... Tensions exist in every family, right? I don't know what all of yours are, but I can assure you I know what many of the ones in my family are, both in my immediate brother and sisters, their spouses, their kids, my parents, and in my greater cousins, aunts, uncles. I know where all the tensions lie, right? I'm old enough now to have seen behind the scenes and know that all is not well like I thought when I was 10, okay? Now, there is a way to deal with that that is truth-telling. It's so nice to see you. I'm so very glad you're here. And you have this, like, let's just, let's just get through the week. Let's just get through the day. Nothing is wrong here. And we think that that's the better option, and sometimes it might be. But more often than not, the families that are healthiest are actually honest with one another. But they say, you know, I'm glad you're here, but, you know, this past year when you did this, it was really hard. It was really hard. Can we, I don't know what to do about it. We need to talk about it. 
Is that a fun holiday? No, that's not a fun holiday. Will that provide a much better foundation for the next 20 years of relationships with your family? Yes, yes it will. And we all know that, right? It's not like nobody, oh, we, let's just never talk about anything. But the courage to do that, the courage to actually deal with things openly, honestly, that's what we need the Spirit's help with. Not just in our blood relations, but with one another. We are the household of God. That kind of honesty with one another that's not held together by blood is held together by a greater unity, which is Christ's blood. So we need to have faith for that for ourselves, that we're not scheming and devising, okay? that we're not truth-telling instead of being honest. So those are the two specifics that Paul gives. But what he's really saying is, you know, the last six commandments of the, of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not covet, are how we are to relate to one another. They are, in fact, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed them up that way, and that is the last six commandments. And this is how we live with one another, is by knowing from God's word, how we're actually supposed to behave towards one another. And so we do that by studying God's word and then doing what it says. And that is not uh, making less of love. We know this because, right, John, who wrote the gospel of John, records for us in John 13 that the way everyone's going to know we're his disciples This is John 13. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Right? So we go, okay, how do we love? How do we we grow in sanctification? What does it mean to grow in godliness? Abstain from sexual immorality. Don't defraud one another. Okay, Paul, what are you getting at? Joe, what are you getting at? Jesus, what are you getting at? Love one another? Okay. I mean, you know, I'll give good gifts at Christmas. I guess that's love. Later on, this is what Jesus says about what love is. This is my commandment. This is John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no, has, has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. This is I command to you, that you love one another. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What does it mean to love? Abide in God's commandments. To actually do what he says. To be obedient. To not neglect the things that God has told us to do. That doesn't mean we rely on that to be saved. Our salvation is completely outside ourselves. Our our justification sits in the throne room of God, in that courtroom, at the bloodied body of Jesus Christ. But the way he 
tells us to live in light of that. It's to love one another. And to love one another is to obey all the things that God has commanded us. Jesus explicitly says it, right, in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We tend to make church, we believe this truth about Jesus, and we believe he's coming again, and kind of this middle ground, there's nothing that God has ever said about it. What do we do as Christians? And yet Jesus says part of the Great Commission is to tell people all the things God has commanded so that we will do them. That's the middle ground. That's what we do in between. That's our sanctification. Another way of looking at it, this is from Romans. Um. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become, what? Conformed to the image of his son. Christ-likeness. That's, that's what we're predestined to be. If we're in Christ, we have not just been chosen to be justified before the throne room of God. We have been chosen, predestined, to become more like Jesus. That's what he chose us for. Why? Why? Why any of this? Why does any of this matter? Why does quiet life, godly life, not defrauding, not committing sexual immorality, just living love, what does this have to do with anything? Why does it matter? Why does it please God? How is it, what is it that God desires most of all out of all of his creation. The glory do his name. And how does he get it out of men? So let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So why is it that a quiet, godly life, a life of sanctification, a life of Christ-likeness, a life of being more and more attuned to the commands and love of Christ, the thing we are to do as Christians? Because we want glory to go to God. And this is the way he has prescribed his glory to go forward. Let your light shine before men, which are your good deeds. Be a godly man, be a godly woman. And God will be glorified. The whole world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you obey my commandments, you love me. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. What is the will of God for your life? Sanctification. Regular everyday obedience. Now, I touched on this, but the, the bedrock of this The bedrock below this is if you are outside of Christ, none of this matters. If you're outside of Christ, living in a way that you think pleases God does nothing for you. If you hate God, it doesn't matter if you do what he says. Therefore, the the initial thing, the, the first thing, 
is that you must be born again. God must actually open your eyes to the truth and beauty of his son, Jesus Christ. And if he's done that, to walk like Jesus walked. That's 1 John. Walk like Jesus walked. Related to this, before we close today, um, you know, here in Thessalonians, it's easy. It's easy to think that, you know, here's the thing that we're commanded to do, but I fail at this. Now, just walk with me through that thought process. What, what often happens when you hear a sermon like this is you think, but I, I haven't done that. I can't do that. I sin all the time. Now, just think. If we did it automatically, we would have no need for God to tell us to do it. Okay? Which implies the fact that though the Thessalonians were doing good, they were still falling short. And though you are doing good, you are still falling short. And so it is not God saying, you better do this because I need my people to be perfect. It is God saying to us, I know you're not perfect. I'm encouraging you, though. Excel all the more. Keep doing it. Don't falter. Believe that this is my will for you. Your sanctification. That's acknowledging the fact. Jesus is acknowledging the fact in these commandments that it's not automatic. That it doesn't just happen. That you really do still sin. That I really do still sin. That sanctification doesn't just... You wake up one day and you're like, man, I'm just... I'm just without sin today. I don't know what happened. But that God says to us throughout his word, I know you're weak. I know you're sinful. And so I say to you, keep on doing. Keep on going. Don't falter. Believe. Walk. Do. Obey. He says those because he knows that we cannot. And so we need to rely on him for his spirit and his help. We need to rely on him for his word, the truth that we have, that he gives us. Not to presume that we know how best to live before the face of God, because we don't. We, left to our natural inclinations, have no clue, no clue what it really means to please God. But yet, here we have this. 66 books, clearly written, mostly easy to understand except for some bits, Pretty clear. The, the thing we, we need to avoid is making this about justification before the face of God. And saying to you, you know, it's just legalism to, to follow these rules. Now, legalism is believing that your good works save you. Legalism is believing that you're justified before the face of God for doing these things. Godliness is doing these things because you are justified. Sanctification, becoming Christ-like, is doing these things because you're justified. And we all need to encourage one another more and more as we see the day approaching that we would do these. So I want to encourage you, I've been your pastor for just a few months, you have been godly in many, many ways. I know that it has been difficult in many, many ways. I know that right now it can seem like, all right, things seem to be a little bit more sure-footed. We can kind of 
Take a breather. And I am telling you, don't stop. Press on. Make it your ambition to please God this year. And God will reward us. You'll notice, you can't see it in English because it'd be weird to read a Bible that said y'all. But a lot of those, all those yous actually in that passage are, this is the will of God for y'all's life. Y'all's sanctification. Y'all work together for this. That's what he's saying. That this isn't just you individual. This is us together as a body encouraging one another. Pressing on together. Hoping, pressing, walking together. So let's do it. Let's trust God that just regular, everyday, believing, walking, hoping is actually the thing that God rewards. And not high ambitions, not, not bitterness towards what has gone before, but just help me to obey today. Help me to obey tomorrow. Help us to obey today. Help us to obey tomorrow. Show me how I can help us obey today. Show me how I can help us obey tomorrow. Give me courage. Give me strength. Give me hope. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us hope. And so that's what I want us to go into the new year with. Uh, Make your resolutions if that's the thing you do. Make your goals. Whatever you do, be godly in it. Trust God in it. He sees us. He knows us. He has good things in store for us. And it's up to us to actually walk in that way to please him. So let's do that this year. Let's stand. We're going to sing one final hymn. Number 688, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Let me pray. Father, you are good and all glorious. And you have given us clear teaching in your word about how we are to live before you. We pray, Father, that you would do that for us that we would be godly as individuals and godly as a church.